All right. I've been reading a good uh, uh, study on spiritual warfare, and so at least this week, if the Lord allows me this week and next week, I'll be doing a little bit of teaching. Today, we're going to be looking about spiritual warfare, and then next week, uh, Lord willing, we'll be talking about uh, offensive spiritual warfare, going on the offense, okay? So we're going to be in the book of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. We're going to be looking at verses 10 through 20. The Bible says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up some of the armor, most of the armor, the whole armor. And by the way, he's not talking to individuals. He's talking to the church, the corporate church, right? Take up the whole armor of God that you, plural, may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in change, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Now, you may not realize this, but he was in chains because of the gospel. And he's asking for prayer that he can continue to be bold to preach what got him in jail to begin with. Makes us wonder about how when we get unfollowed on Facebook, we stop telling people about Jesus. But you know what? We haven't resisted to that point yet. Let's continue to resist the enemy's onslaught and continue to declare the Word of God boldly. So what we want to look at today is the biblical worldview of, what, uh, of the life that we live. The biblical worldview, that is the lens through which the Bible views or frames the world that we live in, is thoroughly supernatural. In the biblical worldview, God controls physical phenomena and all so-called natural laws. In the biblical worldview, angels do his bidding. Demons actively and energetically oppose his kingdom. Miracles, physical healing, and gifts of the Holy Spirit are essential elements that constitute reality. Just because someone gets saved does not mean that they may that automatically have a biblical, supernatural world view. The worldview of newly born Christians is not biblical, it's still worldly. Because what happens when you get saved is your spirit is regenerated. You become a new creation in Christ, but your mind is not. You still think the, the same way you did the moment before you got saved, you're just a conscious of something's different. And now begins the process of transformation. Uh, the world of newly born Christians is that of the world they were brought up in. The emphasis is on the world, word world. A verse in the book of Proverbs that I've read uh, many times 
and really ministered to me highlights this reality and the conflict of opposing worldviews. What the verse emphasizes and brings to the forefront is the incompatibility of the two different perspectives on life. It says in Proverbs 29, 27, an unjust man is an abomination to the righteous. But one whose way is straight or a righteous man is an abomination to the wicked. Their ways of thinking are so diametrically opposed that one looks at evil and thinks it's evil and the other one looks at evil and calls it good. So we come out of that world. We see it all the time. We see it in the news. We see it in the media. I mean, you can't even, even innocuously, I like to go through and, and, and look at uh, golf videos because I'm getting into golf again and all the kind of, you can't even sc- scroll through YouTube and all of a sudden something little worldly pops up and you're going like, really? And that's when you're trying to be careful. But it's all around us, everywhere. Uh, uh, What are they politicizing in the White House right now when they remove the United States flag and they put a a rainbow-colored flag, which is really the rainbow is God's, not the enemy's, not the world's, right? It belongs to God, but that's not what it represents. And they're promoting an agenda that basically is saying what is wrong is right, and anyone that believes is wrong is wrong. Two different perspectives on life. And listen, you're never going to convince them that what they believe is wrong. That's not the point. The point is to realize is that we were in that world, but God brought us out of that world, and he wants to give us a new way of looking at life. A brand new Christian is thrust into a spiritual world that they have had very little training in or have little to zero understanding of. As a result, for many Western Christians, because it's not the same in Africa or Asia where they're very conscious of the supernatural, they're very conscious of a spiritual world, but as Western Christians, instead of embracing the biblical worldview, we bring our natural worldview into our Christian walk. That's why people say today they believe in cessationism. There are no gifts of the Spirit anymore because that's supernatural. That only happened in the first century whenever we didn't have the Bible. Now we have the Bible, therefore we don't need that anymore. Again, I don't believe that to be true. All right? Sadly, as a result of doing so, to them, spiritual warfare for all practical purposes does not exist. How many of us know that the Word of God is much more than just a collection of stories and teaching on morality? Its purpose is to give us a biblical, godly worldview of how things really exist in the universe and the world that God created and how God intended the world and His creation to work. That's why we always tell you, if you, you, you know, if you try to become a Christian, try to live the Christian life, but you don't follow the manual, you'll get frustrated. Well, everything God promised me, it doesn't work. Well, the reason it's not working is because you're not submitting to it. You're trying to change the word or you're trying to get little. It's kind of like reading an owner's manual and picking a chapter here and a paragraph here and a paragraph there and trying to get something to work. uh, But you're trying to get it to work your way and not the way it was designed. So the reason we read this is, one, to transform the way we think, but also learn how the world is supposed to work according to God. Not according to GARP, 
according to God. All right? And if we will submit ourselves to the Word of God, now, we don't always see results right away because in the kingdom of God, we're planting seed. We're planting seed. We're planting seed. And seed doesn't come up right away. The Word of God is like seed. When you are walking according to declaring, living by the Word of God, there's power in the Word, but you've got to be, uh, continue to sow that seed. You've got to continue to water it. You've got to continue to nurture it. You've got to let it grow so that it will eventually produce a harvest in your life. Now, what happens is we believe the Word of God when it says, uh, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We confess, we believe, we're saved. It happens in an instant. You plant seed, you reap an immediate harvest, and if we're not careful, we begin to think that all of God's Word is like that. We want it to be like that. We hope it'll be like that. But the reality is some crops take longer to harvest. So 2 Timothy 3, 16 uh, through 7. So anyway, the purpose of the Word of God is to give us a biblical, godly worldview of how things really exist in the world that God created and how God intended the world and His creation to work. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped, for some good work, for most good work. No, for every good work. That means this scripture will equip you to live life the way God intended you to live, that you might actually live the way Jesus said we could live. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but God has come that you may have life and life to the full. Doesn't mean that you won't go through storms. Doesn't mean you won't face difficulties. But the Word of God gives you a GPS navigation and power to overcome and to walk through those things. All right, Romans 12 and 2. Do not be conformed to this world, and I'll add, that you came out of. Do not continue to function that way, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We stop there. How do you renew your mind? Psalms 1 and 1, Blessed is a man that walketh not according to the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, the instruction of God. If you say, we're not under law, we're under grace. It's talking about the whole counsel of God. But in the law of the Lord and in his law does he meditate day and night. And if he will do that, he will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that shall bring forth fruit in its season. And his leaf shall not wither, and whatever he doeth shall prosper, right? By the way, that word meditate means to chew the cud. See, we, we, we bring the worldly ways of thinking into the kingdom. Well, I'm supposed to meditate. So what I do, I go in my closet and I just empty my mind. No, that's worldly meditation. Biblical meditation is you fill your mind with the word of God. And then you chew on it. You chew on it. Uh, sometimes uh, uh, um, I'm in a season of life where, remember, I got my finger there. So <laughs> I got my finger right there, but I'm not touching my iPad, okay? But I've got my finger right there. <laughs> that's, that's a private joke between me and Morty. Anyway, so, um, all right, where was I going now? Yeah, you, you, okay, so here's what happened. So I'm in a season of life where I don't read very far. I read a verse or two, and all of a sudden, I start, I start getting stuff. 
you know? And that's not like me. I used to read 13 chapters a day every day so I could read through the Bible four times a year. I did that for 20 years or more. I mean, I've read through the Bible hundreds of times, but now I'm in a season where I can't hardly read a chapter and the Lord speaks to me. And I, I tell you, it's a challenge for me. Okay, but sometimes I'll, have, I'll just start thinking about it, and you know, and I'll say, okay, and then I, I usually go walking, and I'll put on a podcast, and I'll listen to something, but I hadn't found anything I really wanted to listen to, so I started meditating on the thought that I had, and all of a sudden, some thought comes up, another thought comes up, and I'm walking and, and, and writing at the same time and tripping over stuff, and you know, but you know, uh, what's happening is I'm, I'm chewing the cut, and that's what I encourage you to do, to chew the cut. So you have a part to play in this. It's not just God doesn't just empty you. I mean, open your mind and put stuff in there. You've got to read. You've got to uh, uh, meditate. You've got to input so the Holy Spirit can have something to pull out of you. You know where books and all that comes, come from? They come from kids that have, the voc- that have letters and words and vocabulary put into them. And then they take those letters, those words, and those sentence structures, and then it's able to pull out. These ideas come out out of stuff that's been put in. And so as we put in the Word of God, it's like uh, a vocabulary words. It's like, it's like characters, things that we need, and the more that we input, the more the Holy Spirit has to draw from. Now, I'm not saying he can't pull from other sources. I'm just saying this is how I have found that he works in my life. So... Being about, be, be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And where do we find what the will of God is, what is good, acceptable, and perfect? We find it in the Word. You, you hear what I'm saying? So if you want to know what the will of God is, it's in the Word of God, right? But you've got to uh, rightly what is this, uh, uh, divide the Word. Right, so you've got to. There's no way of saying that. What's the what's the um, uh, yeah? It, it's it, rightly divide is the King James way, but there's a there's a huh? Okay, let me let me turn. There's Second Timothy two fifteen. That's the way I learned it too, but uh, we want to get a little bit different translation out of that. Where's Second Timothy? Right after First Timothy. That's yeah, just too easy. All right, Second Timothy two fifteen. Uh, do your best to present yourself uh, to God as a wor- uh, approved, a worker who needs not be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So. Rightly dividing, rightly handling means it's more than just I memorize a scripture. As you go back and forth, you, God begins to bring certain things out, emphasize, you realize that there are, there are uh, uh, weightier matters of the law, less weightier matters of the law, and how do you balance all those out? Because sometimes scripture is held in tension, and you say, well, how does that happen? Well, you have a bridge is held in tension. If you don't have tension, bridge is going to fall. You've got to have tension. Tension is a good thing. So you have the scriptures are held in tension, and one part, let's just something real easy, one part of Proverbs says, one verse says, uh, don't rebuke a foolish man, because if you rebuke a foolish man, you're going to look foolish, and the next verse says, you better rebuke a foolish man, or otherwise he's going to think he's wise. Well, which one do I do? It's held in tension. How do I know what to do? Well, you got a 50-50 chance of getting it right, unless you're me, and then you're going to get it wrong every time. 
How do I know what to do? Well, I got the Word of God, I got the principles, but I have to trust the Spirit of God to lead me, and I've got to rightly divide the Word and the application of that Word in the situations that I'm, fa I'm facing, okay? But if you want to know what the will of God is, it's found in the Word of God. So spirit beings, whether angels or demons, are not a functional part of how the Western mindset views the world and the way that we live. Now, things are starting to change a little bit, because the world is now, oh, you know, they're, they're into mediums and they're into ghosts and they're, well, you know, that's not a, uh, from our perspective, you know, those are demons and somebody asked me, they're about aliens. I said, well, I don't know about aliens. I think most of it's just demonic uh, deception, you know, whatever the case may be. But the reality is uh, the world is starting to wake up that there's something more than just natural. We've been so brought up in the scientific uh, uh, mindset and true science validates what God says. It doesn't try to eliminate what God says. But behind the science that we're being taught is a godless philosophy. There is no God. And so they're using science to prove their hypotheses, but everything that they say is proof is not really proof. It's just a belief system. But we are in, we are integrated in that belief system because even if we have good schools with good teachers in it, the philosophy of the world that we live in is anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-anointing, anti-God. That's why somewhere down the road, I'm gonna, we are somehow believing God that we're going to have a school. So that we can bring up a generation, not that the schools are bad, but we can bring up our children. We know that they, we can bring them up with a biblical worldview. Biblical mindset. Somebody write that down. We're going to have a school at some point. I'm believing God for it. According to the Western mindset, um, every effect has a physical cause. In other words, if you can't see it, touch it, taste it, smell it, or hear it, it probably doesn't exist. All phenomena can or eventually will be explained or accounted for scientifically. Reality is material and mechanical such that if there is a spiritual realm, it has no relation to or impact upon the physical realm. Unfortunately, the issue is often framed as a choice between accepting a modern scientific worldview or devolving into a gullible, uncritical acceptance of a primitive pre-scientific worldview. That's how the world believes that we believe. Of course, it's not an issue of being scientific or not. It is an issue of whether we accept the predominantly naturalistic assumptions of a certain understanding of science. It is in no way incompatible with the scientific method to give validation to a belief in a personal God or conversely to believe in the evil spiritual dimension. I am not an ignorant person. I'm very knowledgeable. I can do like Paul did. I can quote my credentials according to the way the world uh, views things. But in the school that I went to, the very first day that I was there in a seminary, the first thing kid, uh, 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 a student proposes to the professor is about evolution. And this Christian, supposedly seminary professor, I'm not saying they're not going to heaven. I'm just saying their worldview was not biblical to me said, well, everybody pretty much knows this evolution is a fact. 
Now, this is in a seminary that's producing ministers, which is why we have all the mess that we're having going on and, and denominations splitting because of all the mess that's coming out of some of the seminaries that no longer have a biblical worldview. I'm not supposed to get into that. I'm not trying to get into that. What I learned, I don't know how I knew this. I, I wasn't really thinking it through in the sense that I knew how it happened. I just knew that what the professor was saying was not true. Sci uh, evolution is not a fact. It is a belief system. And I know what God did for me. And my thing is, a man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. And so if it's a belief system, I said to myself, there are six billion people, if there are six billion people in the world, I said to myself in that classroom, if there are five billion, nine hundred ninety-nine million, nine hundred ninety-nine thousand, nine hundred ninety-nine people, and they all believe in a belief system of evolution, well, if they get to believe what they want, I get to believe what I want, and I believe this word is true. I'm not in any way trying to exonerate or lift up myself. I'm just telling you that it, it don't believe the lie. That what they believe and their way of looking at things is based on fact. It is a belief system. And if they can believe what they want, we can believe what we want. But my belief is based on an experience with an almighty God that changed my life. Are you hearing what I'm saying? My life is not the same because God's word said, if I call upon him, I will be saved, and I was. I'm not the same person that I was. I'm very conscious of the fact that I am a new creation in Christ. All things have passed away. All things have become new. Not perfect. Right, Anna? I'm not perfect. Yeah. Thank you. God's still working on me. That's what her mom used to say. And it's true. God is still working on me. So, that was the introduction. Maybe we should stop here. What do you think? Good place to stop? Come back next week? Yeah. Yeah. Deacon says we should stop. Got to do what the deacon board says, right? Oh, you want to keep going? Oh, okay. Well, I'm sorry. Your, your wife overrules you. There you go. <laughs> First point. <laughs> First point. We're in an ongoing spiritual battle. First Peter 5, 8 through 11. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So there is a devil. There is an adversary. But here's what God says. Resist him. Standing firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. You know why we're in the condition that we're in in the world? is because we haven't been resisting him. We've been hiding. We've been hiding out in our caves while Goliath is ranting and, and, and raving. We've been hiding in our tents because we've been afraid of, of what he's, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to chop off your head, and we're hiding in our tents because we don't want that. You know, the world's going to hell anyway, so let's just wait God, let's just wait him out until God comes and rescues this poor, miserable, debilitated bride. He's not coming back for a bride that's running from a battle. 
He's coming back for a mature bride, an overcoming bride, a spiritually mature bride. And what does that look like? One that learns and knows that their God and with God can do almighty awesome things. If God be for me, who can stand against me? Maybe, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, my God can deliver me. Maybe he was, won't, but it doesn't matter. I'm not bowing down to the most powerful man on the planet. I'm not bowing down. Because my God, I value what he says more than I value what you say. James 4, 7. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and the promises of God as he will flee from you. Now listen, well, I resisted him once. The context is resist him until he flees. How long is that going to take? I don't know. But the promise of God is true. Let God be true and every man a liar. So if I resist him today and he's still there tomorrow, I'm not going to make a, a, a cup of coffee for him in the morning. I'm going to continue to resist him. And I'm going to t- continue to stand, and I'm going to continue to take, take authority over a trespasser. See, what happens is we no longer view the world biblically. We think the enemy, the enemies come along saying, hey, I'm your friend. No, you're not. He got Eve and Adam to believe that. And the next thing you know, we've had how many thousands of years, six thousands of years of mankind separated from the presence of God because they believed a lie. Don't believe what the enemy tells you. Many Christians remain functional deists. You know what a deist is? God, there is a God, but he wound up the world, and, and he's no longer a part of it. He just sits back and watches it uh, work its way out. Right? They don't deny that God exists or that there's a spiritual realm in which angels and demons are active. They simply live as if neither God nor spiritual beings of either sort have any genuine influential interaction with them. God isn't dead but he might as well be. Angels and demons might exist, but what does that have to do with me or my life? There's no mistaking the teaching of Scripture on this one point. As there is a kingdom of God, so there is to a kingdom of Satan. And the two are embroiled in open conflict. Denying that there's a conflict does not stop the conflict. The only thing that it does is keeps you out of the battle. But the enemy's not going to stop coming after you. He's just going to have an easier time of it. Jesus himself spoke of Satan's kingdom in his response to those who charged him with casting out demons by the power of Satan himself. In Matthew 12, 26, And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? So he has a kingdom. Colossians 1, 13, He has delivered us from the domain or the rule of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom or the rule of his beloved son. So we've been taken out of one kingdom and we've been made citizens of another kingdom. And you don't have a a dual citizenship. When you come out of this kingdom of darkness you burn your passports you renounce your citizenship in that kingdom 
and now you are a part of the kingdom of God. Well, that's not the way it works in the world. Again, we're not trying to work the way it works in the world. We're trying to learn how it works in the kingdom of God. The reason we're in the mess that we're in as Christians is because we believe that we can have dual passports. We can live in the kingdom of darkness. Now, we've been sent to the kingdom of darkness, but we don't live in the kingdom of darkness. We are the light of the world. We live according to a different kingdom. So we have to learn the ways of the kingdom. That's why when I come forward, I'll be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Simply put, Satan operates in the spiritual realm with authority and power, and it is precisely from bondage to this darkness that Christ has set us free. Too many Christians think far too lightly of the extent of Satan's influence in our world. We treat his existence and activity in much the same way we think about gravity and breathing. We hardly give them a second thought. Whether through an arrogant presumption or outright neglect or even a fear of being laughed at by others, people ignore the spiritual realm. They live as if it doesn't exist, or if it does, it has little to no bearing on their daily routines. Now, I know I'm talking to a Wednesday night crowd, and I know for most of you, this is not the case. But it's a good refresher, and for some of you, you may not have grasped this yet. And it's important that we all get on the same page. Biblically, what does the Word of God teach? That brings us to our second point, the enemy's existence and influence. 1 John 5, 19 through 20, we know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. So John wastes no words. Everyone is either of God or under the control of the evil one. There is no third category. Well, I'm a good person. Again, if you're not righteous, and you have the righteousness of Christ in your life, if you're not saved, it doesn't matter how good you are, you're not in God's kingdom, you're in the enemy's kingdom. It's kind of like somebody that's trying to swim the English Channel. Anybody know where the English Channel is? It's a pathway of water between France and England. All right, if you're a terrible swimmer, you'll probably make it a half a mile, and then you're going to get eaten. You're going to die and you're going to get eaten. If you're a decent swimmer, you might make it a mile, a mile and a half, and then you're going you're to fall to the same fate. If you're a good swimmer, you might make it 10 miles, but you still haven't made it. We all, it doesn't matter how good you are, we're all going to fail. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's not about how good you are. It's about how good he is and the work that he did on the cross of Calvary. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father except through me. He that knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God for the salvation of those who believe. For in it the righteousness of God, but another translation which I like even better, righteousness from God is revealed, Right? I've got to start at the beginning now. <laughs> to those who believe. All right? So here's the thing. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. But when we call upon the name of the Lord, 
He cleans us up and gives us his righteousness, and then he puts his spirit inside of us, and when he puts his spirit inside of us, we are now members of a different kingdom. Right? Everyone belongs to someone. John wrote this after the cross, after the resurrection, after Christ had been exalted to the right hand of the Father, after all rule and authority, power and dominion had been put in subjection under his feet, after Pentecost, after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the defeat of our enemy is an accomplished fact, but his presence and activity is in opposition to us and the kingdom of Christ will not be completely done until the second coming. This passage and others forever shadow the illusion of neutrality. The idea that so-called good people who are not Christians are neither for God nor for Satan, are neither in God's kingdom nor in Satan. The fact is, all people belong to one of two kingdoms, the kingdom of light or the kingdom of darkness. If people are not in Christ, they are in the power of the devil. Thus, according to the biblical worldview, not to serve God is to serve Satan, whether you are conscious of it or not. This could easily instill fear and dread were it not for another assertion that John makes. And that's the third point. The kingdom's triumph and enforcement. 1 John 3 and 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. The Apostle John assures Christians that while Satan is real, God is greater and infinitely more powerful. The he who is in the Christian is God. Paul said, it's no longer I that live, but Christ in me. And the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The, the he who is in the Christian is God. And let us be absolutely clear that John does not say, greater are you, but greater is he who lives in me. It isn't you, but God in you that brings the assurance of victory. Ephesians 6.12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities. We're not talking about people. He says we don't wrestle against people. So who are we talking about? Spiritual wickedness in heavenly places, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He's talking to Christians. That is to say, I learned this one, I learned this song. He said, be excellent at what is good, be innocent of evil for the God of peace will soon crush Satan God will crush him underneath your feet Romans 16 19 what a great way to memorize scripture because I still remember whose feet our feet because we are his body he's put all things underneath our feet you hearing what I'm saying? Many Christians are unprepared for spiritual warfare because they believe that since Jesus' victory was so complete, we need only rest passively in the security of our position in Christ rather than aggressively apply it on a daily basis. It is true, of course, that the victory Jesus secured has forever sealed the eternal fate of Satan and his demonic hosts, but protection against demonic attack is not automatic. Simply being a Christian does not shield you from demonic attack. In fact, it actually makes you a greater target. The flaming darts of the evil one continue to target us. Therefore, God says, put up the shield of faith. It requires our diligent, active resistance. 
Thankfully, God reveals to him in his, in his word, one, and again, we're looking at a biblical worldview, whether you like it or not, when you got saved, you became a part of a cosmic battle. And if you want to walk victoriously, you have to know that. It doesn't go away because you don't want to be a part of it. It is there. So God reveals to us in his word that we are in a battle. He also reveals to us that we are equipped for the battle. And in him, he gives us the tools to live an overcoming Christian walk. The Bible says in Revelations 12 and 11, they overcame. doesn't say they were defeated. It doesn't say they fell short. It says they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their... Why do you think the enemy doesn't want us to testify? But I'm scared. Because they did not love their lives even to the point of death. See, one of your tools, one of your armaments, one of your weapons is the testimony of God that the work that he has done in you. It's not a form of, it's not a form of entertainment. It is actually a weapon. And if you look at it that way, then you can be proactive with what God is giving you. There are many other weapons he's given to us. I mean, we could talk about, I've given you authority of trample upon surfaces, scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means harm you, right? We have authority. We have his name. We have the Spirit of God. You shall receive power if the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, today is Samaria, and the innermost parts of the earth, right? You have weapons that he's given to you. We have the armaments that he lists in Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. By the way, it's not your armor, it's his armor. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle again against flesh and blood, but rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, and spiritual forces. Therefore, you're in a battle. You become aware of the battle. What do I do? Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm, overcome. We win. As long as we resist. Submit yourself to God. It's not just resist. Submit yourself to God. Well, I'm trying to resist, but I'm not submitting. Well, guess what? If you try to resist without submitting, you're, using, you're in rebellion and you're using the enemy's weapons. Because rebellion is his tactic. It's not God's. That's why you have to submit to God. And then as you submit to God, you resist the devil. Yeah. Oh man, I'm having I'm an illustration. Man, I'm having I'm really going through a difficult time physically. I'm going through a difficult time emotionally. I'm battling anxiety, battling fear. You know, somebody somebody comes along, prophetic gifting. Is there anybody in your life that you haven't forgiven? Yes. Uh, no. Why do you ask? God, is there anybody you haven't forgiven? He puts a name in. 
I'm not forgiving them. No way. Nope, nope. I'm just not going to think about them, but I'm not going to forgive them. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to go on. And you know what? That's on them. They should never have done that. And we live that way, not realizing that when we walk in unforgiveness, that's not God's weapons. That's not God's territory. That's the enemy's. And we're trying to live an overcoming Christian life in the enemy's territory with his weapons. What do I got to do? I got to forgive. This isn't the, we're not talking about forgiveness tonight. That's not, we're not going to go that direction, but it's important to, as an illustration. Forgiveness allowed, uh, frees us from the stronghold of the enemy. If the enemy has a stronghold in your life, what is that stronghold? One of them could be unforgiveness. Another one could be rebellion. I ain't doing what no man tells me to do. Now, we're not talking about an ungodly thing. We're talking, I ain't submitting no man. Mm-mm, that's not what my mom told me. I ain't never doing that. Can't have two heads in a home. Just can't do it. Right? But Paul did say, follow me as I follow Christ. Right? Your first head is Jesus. But if your husband... Whether you like it or not, listen, I don't care what day it is, and I don't care what the times are, and I don't care. We're not in any way putting women down. We're not saying that they're inferior to men, but there is an order in the home. And I didn't make the order. He did. You got a problem, you got to take it up with him. Now, at the end of this, all the men will go out, and all the women can come up and talk to God and say, why did you do that? (laughs) <laughs> Luke 10, 18 through 20. By the way, there is, there is um, something about being the person in charge that you're not aware of. The one that's on top is supposed to protect you, not to dominate you and not to manipulate you. If they're doing their job correctly, they are shielding you from countless attacks that you do not have the grace to deal with because you were not given that authority and responsibility. True spiritual authority is to help you and protect you and equip you and to encourage you and to uplift you and help you to become all that you're supposed to be. That's why we submit to Jesus. Most of us. Luke 10, 18 through 20. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you the authority to tread on. Who? You. To tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall hurt you. Matthew 16 and 19. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Revelations 12 and 11. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. So in conclusion, the biblical worldview is thoroughly supernatural. Just because you got saved doesn't mean you automatically have a biblical worldview. The Bible teaches us that all people, young and old, male and female, belong to one of two kingdoms, the kingdom of light or the kingdom of darkness. If people are not in Christ, they're in the power of the devil, even if they have no visible, sensible awareness of being in the devil's grip. However, Jesus came and conquered 
death, hell, and the grave, and through his death freed us from, from our fear of death and brought us into those who call him as Lord, submit to his lordship, brings us into his kingdom, and in, he lives inside of us, and in his mind, his name, his power, his victory, we can live overcoming. Maybe not necessarily people. You don't have power to overcome and authority to overcome people. You have authority and power to overcome the enemy. You might be surprised when you take authority of the enemy, it affects the people. I'm just saying. So we're going to stop there. And next week, Lord willing, I'll do part two, talking about how in spiritual warfare with the authority that we've been given, we're not supposed to be just reactive. We're supposed to be proactive. You can't just be playing defense. You've got to play offense if you want to win the game. And I called it an offensive spiritual warfare, not because it's offensive to people. It is offensive to the enemy. And I want to tell you something. When I was typing that up, I was, I was two-thirds of the way, and the power went out. No problem. I got automatic save. It didn't automatically save. I said, there is some spiritual warfare going on here. I had to do the whole thing again, but it's there. All right? So we're going to be looking at that next week. But anyway, I just want you to be aware of the fact that uh, we are... Uh, the army of God. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, but we are also uh, um, part of the army of the Lord. And I want to tell you something, that if God be for us, who can stand against us? I'm done. I'm going to tell you what I do every night. All right? Uh, I don't pray long, and I don't pray, uh, you know, repetitive prayers over and over and over again. And you pray however you want. I'll just, I, I just, when I go to bed, I'm ready to go to bed. But one of the things I do, I said, uh, I pray because I had a battle with sleep. And I said, dear Lord, I pray that uh, your presence would overshadow me, that your heavenly host would be a hedge of protection around me and my family. Yeah. Right? I pray that uh, your word teaches me that you give your beloved sleep. I pray, Lord, that you would give me that sleep, I am part of your beloved. So not only do I pray for it, but I receive it in faith in Jesus' name. Amen. And usually I fall asleep and I don't get to pray the rest. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. No. Uh, but when I'm praying, then I pray for my family and I pray, I pray, bless my family. And I pray that my family would live overcoming victorious Christian lives. They're not all there yet, but they will be. How can they not be? I'm praying for them. I believe God hears my prayers. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm special. God told me I'm special. I want to tell you something, too. I'm no special than you, because the Bible teaches he doesn't have favorites. He doesn't show favoritism. He doesn't show no partiality. So if I'm special, you're special. Right? And so what? Papa hears our prayers. Why do we doubt him? I know what he's told me. I just stand on that. And sometimes when I'm going through something, I'll tell you about this before, and I'm just talking right now. You guys can go, may the Lord bless you, keep you, make his face shine upon you, be gracious toward you, turn his face toward you, and give you peace. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. And everybody said, amen. Well, okay, for those of you all that want to say, I'll just keep going on. But I forgot what I was going to say now. <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, I've been through a lot of battles. And sometimes in those battles, uh, it, gets, it gets pretty dark. 
uh, you know what I'm talking about. Y'all know what I'm talking about. It gets pretty dark, you know, and you're going, man, I don't know. It just, the, the, in warfare, you, you, and I wasn't in, in that kind of battle, but I'm in a spiritual battle, but from what I understand in warfare, you know, it, 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 it's your world closes in around you, and you, there's, you can't see, and there's smoke, and there's carnage, and, you know, spiritually it can be like that. And, and sometimes you're thinking, man, I don't know if I'm going to come out of this, you know. And then I remember one, one promise that he gave me was, had just given me so much mileage. Uh, I've got so much. He said, your son-in-laws will be better. Because I was one day praying about I didn't have any sons. And he said, that's okay. Your son-in-laws so will be better to you than if you had your own sons. So first of all, I'm going to have son-in-laws. Yes. My daughter said, I ain't getting married. I said, yeah, you are. I said, you can't tell me what to you. can't be even You're right. I'm not going to make you or do that. Hey, but I know what God told me. And I said, whether you like it or not, you're going to get married. Huh? <laughs> he said, well, how can you say that? Because the Lord spoke to me. And then he said, my son-in-laws will be better to me than if I had my own sons. So even though I feel like I'm about to die, I know I won't because I haven't met them yet. And I'm not just going to meet them before they, they, they know my daughters. I'm going to know them, and they're going to be married to my daughters, so i got a long way to go. So when the enemy's sitting there telling me, you ain't coming out of this, I'm gonna, I've got you now, you're done. I said, no, the Lord said to me, my son-in-laws will be better to me than if I had my own sons. And so I'm going to be around. I'm going to come through this. I'm getting on the other side, and sure enough, May have took a little while, but I got on the other side because the Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. And when God speaks something to you, whatever it is, however innocuous it seems to be, there is eternity in that. Pay attention to it. Warfare with it. Fight with it. Just like you fight with this. Fight with what God tells you. And I want to tell you something. There's nothing the enemy can do when you have a word from God.